So we have like a prospective list of partners that we want to work with. But in order for them to actually be sales ready, as in like signing the contract, there's like a process behind it. But with the podcast, it actually quickens up that entire process because we're able to offer value to them right away. So within the recent partners that we've gotten on the podcast, I would say that 30% of them have eventually signed just from being on the podcast. So it's a really, really great way to drive partnerships as a strategy if that's something that is a pillar in your organization. Welcome to our weekly show, Brands at Podcasts, where we focus on one thing only, showing you behind the scenes of how some of the best brands in the world are using podcasting to grow. All right, Danny, welcome. So before we dive into how Procurify is using its podcast, which is called Spend Culture, I highly recommend everybody to check that out. A little background here is that you are the community and events lead at Procurify and also one of the hosts and the producer of the podcast. And I was really excited to talk today because you guys have been at the podcast game for a little bit with your show. And I think you're using it really strategically, at least from what I can see from afar and wanted to just dive in today on like the nuts and bolts of how you're producing it, but also the results that you've seen from it, from an ROI standpoint, that could be whether quantitative or, but maybe first, before we go too deep into the weeds, could you just give an overview for folks who maybe don't know what Procurify is and maybe a little bit more details like on your role there and how you kind of had the podcast come into fruition as something that you are running point on? Yeah, definitely. First off, thank you so much for having me today on the show. I love podcasting and I've been doing this for a year and a half now with Procurify. And that was actually the first podcast that I've ever launched. So a lot of learning opportunities there. I'm happy to share it with the audience. But about Procurify and what it is, this is always something that our sales team <laughs> laughs at when I try to pitch it because clearly I'm not a salesperson. But I'll explain it in my own way. So essentially, we are a spend management platform that helps organizations manage spending. So in a lot of organizations from small, medium-sized businesses specifically, there's a lot of ways that they might track employee spending, whether it be to use credit cards and expense it afterwards, or maybe they have a really cumbersome system like an ERP, and most of the employees have no idea how the hell to use it. So Procurify kind of brings in the two elements of, you know, that data accessibility for the someone who's able to actually use it versus, you know, the more ad hoc way of using credit cards and expensing afterwards into one platform so that each purchase is tracked properly. And that's kind of what we do in our sweet spot is mm. usually working with small, medium sized companies that are like SaaS companies, for example, Valtex, a lot of different industries. Is there any context you could give in terms of like size of the company or, you know, revenue or any sort of data points to help us anchor the conversation here with the marketing channels you're using, the podcast being one of them? Yeah, absolutely. So our company, we are a post-Series B company. We raised our Series B last year. But for the clients that we work with, we normally work with a Series B and C and above. So this company size usually ranges from around 100 to 350. So how did Spend Culture, so Spend Culture is the podcast. First, how would you describe the show? You know, who is the ideal listener? Like, what is the goal of the show? And how did it come to be? Like, how did the podcast get kicked off the ground? And what was the impetus for thinking that this would be something you all would want to pursue? Yeah, definitely. So one of our main target audiences is the CFO. And the CFO normally in more traditional industries, they're seen as more of a back end function. So they're seen as more of a support role. 
But uh, recently, based on conversations that we've been having with customers and, you know, other people that we meet at a lot of accounting events, what we realize is that there's this new role of the proactive CFO that's starting to happen. So CFOs are now seen as a business partner to the organization. So they might be like the right hand man or woman of the CEO, actually. So it's more of a strategic role. But um, what we realize is that the content that's geared to the CFO is generally very dry. You know, it's normally, I don't want to call it any names, but normally it's very association, professional association based. Mm. So we, we found that there wasn't many multimedia for the CFO and this kind of role. And also the conversations that normally are featured are very to the books. So we wanted to produce something that was easy to listen to, that was a little bit more vulnerable, where we can get very dive into the nitty degrees behind, you know, the stories of money, people and organizations and the CFOs that make that happen. So that's kind of where spend culture came about because we're kind of blending spending with an organization, but mm. also talking about how that and company culture go hand in hand together. Yeah. How does that play out? Could you maybe describe like, you know, as let's say some CFOs are listening to this show right now, how would you describe the value prop a little bit to them? Yeah, for sure. So I would say that uh, people are kind of the biggest resources that will make or break a company. And in order for people to actually thrive within an organization, you must be able to have a company culture that encourages innovation, that encourages drive for these employees. But the other side of that is also the spending. So how are you spending on behalf of the company? Is it towards the right opportunities? Are you getting the best ROI? So we're blending both elements of that and um, having conversations with top CFOs from all different industries on their learnings um, and their failures behind how they mismanaged cash or maybe how they were actually able to use spending and cash as a vehicle for driving growth within their company. I love that. Yeah. And we can dive into some of the specifics there here in a second, too. I'm curious with other marketing strategies that Procurify has used to date. Number one, like, could you share, you know, maybe how long you've been running the podcast thus far? And then are there other marketing channels that Procurify has used historically or currently as sort of main drivers of building awareness, building inbound leads and all sorts of things like that, that have played a big part in the growth thus far. Like what other channels on top of the podcast have you used to date? Yeah. So we are a SaaS company. So in the very early stages, one thing that we always believed in is going for the long-term gains. So I know a lot of companies, they think more when they start off, maybe we have to, you know, open up our ad channels. Maybe we have to start with PR, but we kind of went around it backwards where we should start building content and then SEO. And then from that, we can start building out a community based around our target audience. So that's one of the main marketing strategies that we harness, which is our blog and our overall content. So that kind of plays in with the podcast because we find that the podcast is almost a gateway towards everything else that we produce, including, for example, um, white papers, case studies, blog posts. And we also have interactive videos as well, where you can watch interviews in person. We also Mm. do online events, especially with COVID happening. So that kind of all plays along within this whole, I guess, content user journey where what is the problem that you're trying to solve? And then what is the best medium that you want to consume the content? And we want to give our audience like many different 
methodologies to do that because we understand with CFOs, they're super busy. A lot of them, they don't want to read. They'd rather listen to something on their commute, which is why we decided to launch the podcast. And mm. for some of them, they like to see something a little bit more visual. So we want to give them a few different mediums to actually educate them on the problems that they have. But at the same time, also making sure that they all correspond to main themes. So if you notice um, with our podcast, we normally have a supporting blog post that goes with it for the people who are more, I guess, they like written communication. And then from that, we normally also have a video version of the podcast for people that want to see also like, you know, the body language of the interviewees and whatnot. We talk about this a lot. I love that strategy so much of not being so prescriptive in mm -hmm. the medium of the content, but trying to fit it where folks might prefer, like their preference might be more on Twitter, for example, or, or LinkedIn or a blog post to your point and being able to repurpose that from the podcast across all those channels. Are you using it? So it sounds like you're turning it into an article and you're, you also have the video component. Do you use it on social media as well? Like, are you taking insights from the episodes and, and putting that on social or using that on social in any way as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast has been pivotal for driving growth within our social and also within our partnerships program. So for the listeners there, podcast is a really great way to build partnerships because it's such an easy ask. Because I think um, like when approaching partnerships as a strategy where people, a lot of people get stuck is what is the current ask? What is it that we want to get from the partners and how can we add value? And I think the podcast is such an easy win because first of all, it acts like a conduit between the conversation with whoever you're trying to get in front of. And then secondly, from that conversation, you can really discover, you know, what are the core competencies or what are the value adds that this potential partner can bring you? And then from that conversation, you can produce something with them right away, which is a win. And from that, it opens up a lot of doorways to other collaborations within the company too. I love that. Are there some examples you have there? You don't have to necessarily name any company by name if you don't want to, but I'm just curious, like, could you walk us through like how that has worked for you? I think that's a great use case. Yeah, definitely. I'm just going to scale back a little bit. So thinking about who you want on the podcast, because I feel like that's something that's really important for people who are building the podcast for the very first time. There was a lot of learnings from our end on this. So initially when we were launching the podcast, we were thinking, okay, well, we just want basically the most well-known CFOs out there. But we realized that's actually the wrong approach because even though we might be getting really great expertise, it doesn't actually fit the audience that we want to target. So now we started scaling back and we started to think, who are the people that we actually want to reach in terms of the audience from a business side? So it will be lookalike audiences from our current customers that do well with us. And then the second thing is um, for the referral partners that we currently already work with, what are their lookalike audiences. And the, the third element are more of Halo perspective customers. So if in a alternative reality, if we're able to get any customer we want, who are who will these customers look like? And that kind of allowed us to build our outreach list. Mm. So we have a mix of potential partners, mix of potential customers and also current customers, and then a mix of Halo customers slash, you know, Halo companies that people just really love. And then from there, it kind of correlates to the different pillars of the strategy, such as community strategy for social building and then also for the customer retention even when we hmm. you know um, reach out to a customer for that and then for the partnership strategy wow yeah i love that breakdown how do you then use it so you'll it sounds like you know having each of those three audiences and then inviting sort of a rotation of each of them on as guests and then do mm -hmm. you do anything 
how do you facilitate, like, is there any sort of facilitation of that process that you think has been a special sauce for you all in terms of like formalizing some of those things? Or like, is it just really just a byproduct of building relationships and providing value to your guests via the the podcast in and of itself? Yeah. So I think like within the first step of the outreach, we don't try to make it about the business. We try to make it more about the relationship. So let's say, you know, I have company B that we think would be a good potential partner. We would reach out to them and be like, we have this podcast that we'd love to feature you on. And, you know, it's a shared audience to your audience. So it shows us, shows them that we've done the research. And then secondly, people really want to talk about what they know. So we're actually building out a platform for them to share their ideas and their learnings. And from that, normally we build a really good report where we kind of understand on when we do the recording, whether it's someone that we want to work with. So same with them. Once they mm. talk to us, they'll realize, oh, yes, these people at Procurify might actually be a really good fit for us to continue the conversation. So post-podcast, we like to give them a post-podcast package where it will outline, you know, when the podcast will be live, what are the necessary documents we still need from them to get the podcast live? And then the secondary value add, which is like the business ask, which is, hey, by the way, judging from the context of the conversation, we think this will be a really appropriate next step, whether it be to have a conversation with our partnerships team, whether it be to have a conversation with our sales team to explore whether Procurify might be able to help them. I love that. What have, the, have you seen from results from that? I mean, it might be hard to quantify, but do you have some sort of gauge on what that reception has been like for that post-interview process? Yeah, it has actually been really great. I don't really have specific numbers per se, but I can let you know from the customer side. So if you're approaching prospective customers that you're looking after, it normally takes a little bit of a while because when you have that initial conversation, they might not yet be uh, ready to explore a solution or they might not even know what their problem is. So you kind of understand that, okay, these people are within our ICP. Let's have a conversation to see what are the initial goals that are trying to drive within the organization. And then once you find that there's a pain point that correlates your product, that's kind of where you really want to dig in as well as a host within that episode. And then from there, you kind of continue that relationship where you share the piece with them. You know, you have a few co-marketing assets built together. And then afterwards, I don't even really reach out to them myself. Normally they would say, Mm. hey, by the way, since we've done this with Procurify, we're now looking for a solution that managers are spending. And you guys came into mind because we've done that podcast together. Hmm. Can I see the product in person? So I've had multiple people actually reach out to me from the podcast saying, hey, now we're looking for a solution. Let's talk. Do they come through you or did they go inbound through your normal sales channels, whether that be a form or, or something like that on your website? Have you found or maybe both? Because our target audience are the main stakeholders, normally they'll reach directly out to me because that's kind of their contact. Okay. But sometimes uh, what they would also do is that they would go on our website and we have a tracking mechanism where you can see, you know, who are the domains that are visiting. And we kind of attribute that to, oh, we've actually interviewed them on the podcast. So that also makes it an easier conversation with our BDRs Hmm. when it comes to a warm, cold outreach, or I guess warm outreach, not cold outreach, because we can say, hey, notice that, you know, you've, you're checking out Procurify, you're looking for something. We've actually interviewed your CFO on this podcast, just wondering if there's anything we can answer for you in terms of questions. That's a really sophisticated correlation 
process that I think, I, I don't think I've heard anybody <laughs> put that together that well. That's incredible because it just helps your BDR team like have that context for another anchor that they could, they could help build the relationship with, which is you've already, you've already created some, some value for them. You know, you've already interviewed them on your show and things like that. Is there any advice you'd give on, on like another team thinking about putting a podcast together? And then secondly, tying it all together on the back end to be able to attribute, you know, the activity that is coming directly as a byproduct of the podcast outside of just like listenership growth and using it as a, as content on across all your channels. But like these sort of things that you're describing here, which is, you know, direct inbound leads and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I would say think about it in terms of like a accounts based marketing funnel, right? So thinking about what are the main target accounts that you want to go after, because there's probably multiple stakeholders within that account that your sales team can get in front of. So from the podcast angle, that's more of like an awareness piece. That's more of like the first touch towards a actual conversation or relationship. For us, we like to always get a C-level executive, such as like the CFO or maybe even the CEO. But based on, you know, whoever your target audience is, you might want to get like a CMO, for example, or whoever your target audience is. But at the same time, like these people may not be the people that will look out for a solution. So they might actually send someone who is a little bit more junior on the command chain to look after solutions. So I would recommend like every time you have a conversation with the prospect or a lead to make sure that within whatever CRM platform that you're tracking to have the account name, but also all the contacts that you've talked to. Because once um, you interview one of the main leads from that target account, like let's say in a podcast, someone else from that account, once they come in through either like a lead generation form or whatnot, it can be directly attributed to that specific target account mm. where you can say the first touch where we had a contact with this account was through the podcast. I think you mentioned not having quantitative data off the top of your head, which is totally cool. I'm curious, like, do you have a feel for how well this has been working for you. And this could be, this is more of a broad sort of results uh, slash ROI question, which is, you know, is there any sort of feedback you could share in terms of like how this has been working, whether it be like direct quantity of, of leads assisting in the sales process, growing the show to a certain amount of listenership that you've wanted to do, you know, helping with your content goals that have then helped with you know, revenue goals and things like that. Like how is this, the ROI of the podcast sort of fitting into the broader puzzle of the, of Procurify's marketing and sales goals? Yeah, for sure. So from the qualitative perspective, it really adds credibility to our content. So we are now a top 30, I believe, management podcast on iTunes. So when we mention that on top of the white papers that we produce that really adds that level of credibility. And that really helps us get even better guests on the show. So that's one thing. And another thing is from a partnerships perspective, it really helps us with the conversion rate of actually signing these partners. So we have like a prospective list of partners that we want to work with. But in order for them to actually be sales ready, as in like signing the contract, agreeing that they're going to refer leads to us, there's like a process behind it. But with the podcast, it actually quickens up that entire process because mm. we're able to offer value to them right away. So within the recent partners that we've gotten on the podcast, I would say that 30% of them have eventually signed just from being on the podcast. Wow. So it's a really, really great way to drive partnerships as a strategy if that's something that, you know, is a pillar in your organization. 
Another thing is if your organization uses influencer marketing as a strategy, this is also a really good way for it to build relationships with influencers because like you can basically have like, once again, like I mentioned earlier, it's a really easy ask for you to start that collaboration process with them. So I've had instances where, you know, we had the podcast with one CFO or one organization, and we've done multiple things for them right afterwards because they liked working with us, such as running an event with us, maybe co-writing a white paper. I mean, sometimes it's not really easy to quantify the ROI from this, but it's more of like you started off with the, the podcast as a gateway, and then it gives you 10 things in return. What would you say to to folks who would think about this, who who haven't executed this yet, but are maybe doing outbound and they may push back and say like, this just sounds like an expensive lead development or lead gen channel, you know, in terms of time, mainly time, but also cost, of course. Like, what would you say to that versus just going direct to those partners or to those that you want to do some co-marketing with or things like that? Instead of just going direct, like the first touch point, it sounds like here is inviting them to be a guest on the podcast and then going from there. What would you say to sort of counterbalance that question? Yeah, absolutely. And trust me, I've gotten some pushback on this from our end too, with the same, I guess, perspective and thought. So I would say that don't think about the podcast as a purely generation tool because it really isn't. I would say that it's more of a platform for you to build a brand and credibility and content really. Because like with the podcast, let's say you don't get that deal. Let's say you don't get that customer. What you're getting is credibility and what you're getting is brand. So from one podcast, if you do this properly, from one interview, you can transcribe that, make that into a blog post. Maybe the guest offered you some really great quotes. You can make those into quote cards. There's a lot of great tools out there where you can also make short clips like video clips from the podcast or audio clips where you can then reuse in a lot of parts of your content journey. So it really adds that level of credibility. And I would say that from one interview, you have, you know, 10 different assets that now you can reuse and recycle. And for especially companies that don't really have a large content team, this is like a really easy way for you to get content right off the bat. I totally agree with that. Is the content Mm -hmm. being used in any other way? Like is the sales team using the podcast to their advantage during the sales process, whether that be with you know, prospects who came in who've like never listened to the podcast, never heard of it. They weren't a guest on it. Like, but maybe the the sales team can use some of the content from the show as not testimonials, but maybe in a sense, you know, case studies of other CFOs that have thought about this spend management problem in a similar way as you all believe at Procurify. Yeah, definitely. So the BDRs definitely use the podcast to their advantage, especially if they had a conversation around a specific pain point. And we ran an episode on that pain point. So one value add we always like to do is offering them follow-up content that relate to the conversation. So an example of this might be like, hey, Eric, I had a really great conversation with you on how you're having some difficulties implementing internal controls that your team actually follows. You know, we've actually talked to person X from company X where they talked about their top tips on trying to get a better solution for this or like a better process for this. Take a listen and let me know what you think. I love that. We recommend that a lot as well. And we do the same thing here. Have you seen any feedback from that, from the BDR team in terms of like that helping or maybe maybe the prospect like loved the episode so much that they ended up listening to multiple episodes of the show and further, you know, understanding 
your expertise as a company and like building a little bit of trust there asynchronously or like any other feedback you, you think you've heard or like seen from that use case? I think that really also relates back to how you're currently structuring your content strategy. So normally like the link we send is the blog post that also includes the recording. Mm. So from that, yep. normally um, we track the clicks. So if they click into the podcast, if they like the episode, they might also download, for example, like a white paper, they might also read a case study. So within that one send, the prospect might actually explore other different elements of your product or your, you know, your company story. And that kind of adds, again, that level of trust. And um, if you do this properly, especially with a really good tracking software, then once your BDR sees that they've seen like, you know, asset X and Y, they can really get in front of them right away with the next touch point. Like, hey, mm. notice now that you've downloaded our white paper. Is there any other questions we can answer for you? So it allows you to actually have a more, I guess, on the spot follow up that is more timely. That makes so much sense. And having the having the tracking ability and the, the touch point, you know, capability to be able to understand where they are in that process, that content consumption process, I think sounds like it's a critical piece there to be able to understand what they've consumed, what they've liked, and like be able to help supplement that with other things along the way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what, where do you see the podcast going? Like, are there any things you all are thinking about experimenting with holes you see in like how people are currently using a podcast in their marketing and sales process, any listenership goals you have, like anything in general, like that you're thinking about as you go forward with the podcast, maybe that's a, a next evolution of it or just continuing to execute at the level that you currently are. One thing that we are working on is making sure we have a podcast specific call to action. So this is one thing that we've kind of struggled with, with the past. So before we recorded a pre-roll and a post-roll where the call to action was really just to check out Procurify.com if you had any other questions. But uh, the next iteration of that would be, for example, Procurify.com slash podcast or, you know, similar landing page where it's a very podcast specific call to action. So we can actually attribute if there are any sales directly related from the podcast. Because right now, mm. like what I'm talking to you about is more, you know, qualitative, which is a right. little bit harder. But this way we can track it um, more from a direct point of view. Um, another thing that we are hoping to do as well is to have a better process for our uh, podcast attendees or guests to actually refer us other podcast guests. So right now, mm. they, they would just send me a LinkedIn message saying, hey, by the way, I also have my colleague X and Y. I think they would be a really good person to do that with. But now like we're going to build out a form so that people can actually give us information that we might need right away so that we can build better quality episodes moving forward. Yeah, I like both of those a lot. And I think having a, a specific call to action is really smart where you can drive people to. It is funny, though, even with like even with that, you know, even if there is a, a really strong incentive there, it's it is funny how many folks will still just go to the homepage and you won't really be able to track it. But it sounds like your team does a really good job of getting that information during the sales process, which is critical in helping you know that it is trending the right direction that you want. Totally. Like one question we always like to ask when we get on a call with a prospect is, where did you hear from us? What was the first point of contact that you had with Procurify? And they would normally say this either, you know, I've read this particular article or maybe they're pretty, I guess, vague about it. They might say, oh, I've read a blog article and then that led me to Procurify. So we like to 
have that first touch point recorded on Salesforce, which is our CRM that we use. And there's other more sophisticated tools as well, where as soon as they download a specific white paper, it will actually say where which link it came from. So you can actually track the first touch from those points too. So depending on the organization, I would say like definitely invest in a CRM that allows you to Mm. track the first touch for the marketing asset, because that's really where you can get a lot of insights. Are there a couple examples that you think are pretty, pretty good options to explore there? Yeah. So we use Marketo as our backend system for marketing automation. And I would say it's definitely on the more expensive side. So for smaller organizations, you can look at, for example, HubSpot. That's something that is a little bit smaller. And then um, also Google Analytics gives you a pretty good idea as well. So if you are UTMing your links that you send out to your prospects, you mm-hmm. can also see what they're clicking on, um, what you can see what they're looking at next. Do you think that this is very important for brands to think about when they think about a podcast strategy, like really honing in on being able to attribute as much as you can and really getting that data and feedback via you know, marketing automation tools via conversation with sales reps? Or do you think that a podcast for the various reasons that you described, you know, an anchor piece of pillar content that can turn into everything else? And then obviously having direct conversations with people you'd like to build relationships with and then helping in the sales process and things like that. Do you think that in and of itself is just enough to do it, even if you can't build the sophisticated tracking and reporting and metrics sort of process. Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. Again, I don't think the podcast is a lead generation tool per se. It's just, we've already had these mechanisms in place where it's allowed us to get these insights. I would say like, if you want to build a brand apart from just using, for example, PR content and, you know, actually elevate it to, you know, the next generation of what I think brand building will be then the podcast is definitely something that you should look into. Because, you know, my background before I started podcasting, I actually used to be in PR. And I think when a lot of people think about PR or communications, they think about, you know, the typical press releases, media releases and whatnot. But I think moving forward, what people actually want is, you know, a showcase of your credibility and you as a thought leader in the space that you're in. And when you're able to actually host your own platform and to showcase the thought leader's in your industry, aside from yourself, that's, I think, where the long-term gain is really where, you know, mm. it's really worth it. What would you say to folks who who maybe are in a pretty competitive category on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and things like that? And competitive is in quotes there. We actually believe like it's really early days for podcasting. You know, what might seem like a lot of shows in a particular category right now is is actually quite small compared to other mediums of people competing Mm -hmm. for the attention in those mediums. But like, it sounded like there there was a huge opportunity for you to be in front of CFOs and people overseeing like the finance side of things, because there just weren't a lot of shows like quantitatively, there just weren't a lot of shows. But let's say like someone is looking to attract CMOs, that's their their ICP or VPs of marketing and things like that. And there might be a lot more marketing shows that already exist right now. How would you think about advising them in like getting a podcast up and running and having it be successful? Like what pieces of advice would you give to someone thinking about that? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. I actually asked myself that too. What if um, our target audience was somebody else? Like what would I do differently? (laughs) 
So I think um, one thing definitely is to better to go very niche than very broad. So especially in a competitive space, I believe that it's really important to really scale down what your niche audience is going to be. So is it CMOs in SaaS startups? Or maybe you can talk about, you know, specifically CMOs that never had a marketing background and suddenly they were able to progress throughout their career and they eventually became a CMO because I think that's really fascinating background for a lot of CMOs. Like what is the specific niche that you want to reach with your podcast and how can you differentiate yourself from the ones already out there? I think that's the power of podcasting too, is how niche it can go. You know, there's Mm -hmm. almost any, any category and subcategory and subcategory under that. There's usually a podcast, but if you keep digging deeper to your point, like there could be some white space there for you to explore in and really build out your brand as the go-to brand in audio for that particular angle on it. Yeah, definitely. I think also just getting the right guests on there too, because I've seen, um, two different approaches where one is more industry specific approach and another one is more like the type of guests that you bring Hmm. on. So if the industry specific approach, like there's too much competition there, maybe what you can think about is the type of guests that you bring on. Maybe it's not about the CMO specifically for industry X. Maybe it's specifically about the marketing, the marketing function. Maybe you're talking to, you know, PR individuals. Maybe Hmm. you're talking about, you know, heads of communication and whatnot and how that relates to marketing growth. So there's two different ways you can think about it. And it depends on what you're looking for. What's your opinion on like the interview format podcast versus maybe more of like a narrative storytelling? I think some brands have this question too, which is like, should we do an interview style show? Should we try to do something that is more produced, maybe fewer episodes, or maybe it can go on in some level of consistent, like episodic content, but it's just, it's a, it's a more produced storytelling narrative driven style approach. Like, have you thought about that or considered that or have any opinions on that? I think this will kind of depend on your industry and also your company. So for us, even though we are technically in the fintech space, which I would say majority of the people are a little bit more on the like straight up interviews and they're pretty rehearsed angle. The way that we differentiate ourselves is that we like to have very natural, unfiltered conversations. So we even like to say in our podcast preparation document, like, don't be afraid to swear if you feel (laughs) like it. Don't be afraid to really tell us your true feelings because that's really what we want to give to our audiences. And that's kind of how we stand out. But uh, maybe you're actually in a more conservative field. Maybe, you know, you're in banking or something like that you know, does that correlate to your current brand? Or maybe if it does, then, you know, you can think about how can I make it so that people recognize that this is like company X or Y. For us, um, we kind of pride ourselves in being more of like misfits in the industry and Hmm. more of the younger players. So we like to have a more conversational angle from our podcast. We don't like to make it too rehearsed. That's cool. I love that positioning. Mm -hmm. So I guess... Is there any like cool stories or sort of surprising things that you have seen happen as a byproduct of the podcast? Maybe that's a listener, you know, coming with some feedback or introducing you to some other company that ended up becoming a huge partner for you or like any sort of cool anecdotal stories or surprising benefits you've you've seen from the show? Yeah, I can definitely speak to two. So one, um, when we first started off our podcast, kind of shared this process with you, we had like a prospective list and we kind of did our own outreach. So it was a lot of outbound to get the guests in. 
But now, like now that we've done, I think, 40 something episodes, a lot of our guests are now inbound. So it's either referrals from other guests or it's people that actually found our podcast some some random way and they found my email or found my LinkedIn reach out to me wanting to be on the show. So that's something that's really interesting shift that we've seen, which means, you know, the podcast is definitely getting to that level of recognition, which we're pretty proud of. And then the other end is that, you know, for some of the earlier guests that we've gotten on the show, it's opened up so many different opportunities. Like, for example, one of the guests we got on the podcast initially, and then we were going to run an event in San Francisco. We actually met up with them and they actually offered their expertise to host the event with us. So that became like a co-hosted event partnership from that one podcast episode. And then from there, we signed a business partnership with them where they started referring some of the clients that they think would work well with Procureify. So that was like, a, I believe, a one-year relationship building process. But it started with that one podcast outreach saying like, hey, let's feature you. That's so cool. And that's something so powerful with this is like, which you, you can't really factor in as you're building out a plan to launch it, which is just the serendipity that can happen yeah. through all of this. You know, like you can have a... A, a game plan and a strategy and blueprint, but like good things just kind of happen. And that's part of the power of, of just connecting with people through a podcast like this. That's really cool to hear that story. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure you guys probably have a similar stories as well, where you had a really good connection with the guest and then it moved forward to something else too. Almost every brand and every podcaster I've talked to has these like, and that's why I ask it because has these sort of really surprising stories that wouldn't have happened otherwise because you wouldn't have been in the position for it to happen had it not been for the podcast. Totally. So yeah, it's happened for us and almost every single brand I've talked to as well. And it's cool to hear it for you as well. I love that. So as we wrap up, I have one specific question and then, and then one kind of final question. The specific question I'm asking this far into the interview, because I think most people think about this as the first thing to focus on with a podcast. And it sounds like you have a similar belief as us, which is it's probably important, but it's not the main benefit of a podcast, which which is the listenership. So could you share maybe like, if you can, like what the listenership looks like for your show? And like, do you have any specific KPIs or goals around building that listenership? Like, how do you think about the actual number of downloads in terms of the value and ROI in comparison to some of the other stuff we've been talking about? Yeah, for sure. So in the very beginning, we focused a lot on the numbers and that kind of stressed us out a little bit because um, you'd be surprised to <laughs> to understand how slowly um, a podcast, I guess, grows <laughs> when it comes to the actual downloads and listenership. So we don't like to look at that just because our strategy also is that the podcast is part of our content strategy. It's not like a singular entity in its own. So instead of just looking at the singular downloads and the single subscribers and whatnot, we like to think about from the podcast, what is the aggregate amount of impressions and what is the aggregate and amount of people that actually seen that interacted with our content any other way from the podcast. So mm. this includes like, for example, how many views from the blog post? This includes how many comments and shares we've gotten from our partners and the people that were featured on the podcast. And then also how many comments that we get on social from sharing the podcast. So those we track on top of just the aggregate listens because we feel like, you know, we've got to give people options. Not everybody's going to listen to the episode. Maybe they'll read it. Not everybody will have time to 
read the blog post, but maybe they'll find value in that specific quote that we share on social from that episode. So I would say look at it in terms of like a comprehensive view. Don't try to get too sucked into the numbers because that's a you're playing a losing game there. (laughs) Yeah. And it can be easy to do that because, you know, you see the Tim Ferriss's of the world, the Joe Rogan's and like all this stuff. And you think, you know, looking out, you know, from the outside looking in, like that's the milestone for success is like a hundred thousand listeners per episode or, you know, a million listeners or whatever. But what I love about what you just said is the content that you're repurposing, like that actually was generated from the podcast. So that should be factored into the results and the tracking of, of the audience that has paid attention to Procurify yeah. as a result, whether that be through the article, through social newsletter, webinar, partnership that came from the show, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. I think that's a really sophisticated way to look at it. Yeah, definitely. And just to give some benchmarking numbers, when we first launched the podcast, we would have like, I don't know, five or 10 listens per episode. But now in the within the first week of launch with the new episode, we have around maybe like 500 to 700 listens. So this took us like, you know, around a year to get to. And, you know, they're not super, super good numbers. But once again, like our podcast is also quite niche. So we're pretty happy with where we are right now. Um, One thing we do track every week is the ranking. So we want to see like where we are Mm. in comparison with our competitor podcast. So that's, I think, a better measurement of success rather than specifically just how many downloads or how many listens. Totally. And like, yeah, I mean, 500 to 750 people, you know, I guess if you compare it to how many people might be following you on Twitter or something like that, or your newsletter subscribers, it could seem small, but... I mean, the only reason people would be listening to the show really would be if they are like pretty close to your exact ideal customer and getting value from it and spending 45 minutes with you per week, you know, hearing you through audio. So like, that's actually a huge accomplishment to have in my view, at least. So kudos to you and the team for the consistency there and building up this robust, like, I mean, this is a really robust process and engine that you've built here really impressed with what you've done with the show and and how you think about it. I guess before we get out the door here, like I'm curious if you had last question here is like, if you had a friend come to you, who's in a similar role at a similar size company, but different industry. And they're, they're coming and saying, Hey, we're doing, we're doing content marketing. We're doing paid ads. We're doing cold outbound. We're thinking about doing a podcast. Like, is there is there one thing or two things that you think are the most important for me to consider before we get that off the ground? Like, is there any, you've shared a bunch here already, but like, is there anything else you think we missed that would be important for them to consider? Yeah, definitely. I would think about who is the target audience that you want to reach. Um, and then secondly, how can you segment that target audience? So earlier I mentioned we segmented based on prospective customers, um, influencers like Halo companies and partner, potential partners that we can work with. So from your company, how would this look like? And then from there, I would start coming up with a list of wish list guests because like I think the guests are really like really important because they are also your distribution engine for the initial push for the podcast. You want to have a good balance of credibility and insight, but also brand recognition. So if you're able to get some bigger names within the first few episodes, definitely go for it because you never really know who you can get. Like, you know, it's it's always kind of like a numbers quality game. And then also the second thing that I would definitely look into is, again, what is your value proposition for the podcast? How is this different from the ones that are already out there? Because this will really allow you to build that long lasting brand rather than just 
using podcasts as a medium to showcase your company? Like, what is it that you want to leave in the space for your listeners? And I think that's the most important thing. I love that. I love that advice. I I echo that, agree with all of that. Danny, thank you so much for sharing today. This has been incredibly insightful and valuable. I think a lot of people can get a lot out of this. And especially, you know, for those that are currently producing a podcast for a brand, but also those who are thinking about launching one. So thank you again. I highly, highly recommend everybody go check out Spend Culture and go to Procurify's website and like see how everything Danny mentioned, like how all that is tying together. I think that could be cool to see it with your own eyes, like how one episode turns into these various forms of content and how that process kind of works. So thank you again, Danny. Is there anywhere specific other than, you know, checking out Spend Culture on Apple and Spotify and, and checking out Procurify at your website, anywhere else you think would be good to send people to? Yeah, definitely. So you can also go on spendculture.com. We actually created this really cool quiz where you can test what spend culture your organization has. So like the attitudes and beliefs around spending, and then it will actually showcase the different podcast guests and their spend cultures as well. So you can kind of benchmark it. It's a pretty cool little nifty tool we like to offer. Wow. Okay. In the final minutes here, you just blew my mind again. (laughs) (laughs) Did you build that in-house or are you using a third-party tool for that? Yeah, so we did build that out in-house. And if you see the homepage of it, you'll see quotes from the guests from the podcast and their spent cultures, and it'll show you which episodes to listen for those. Amazing, amazing. Okay, (laughs) that's my rabbit hole for the rest of the afternoon. Cool, well, Danny, thank you again. And uh, yeah, everybody go check that out and we'll catch you on the next episode. Awesome, thanks, Eric, for having me and thank you guys for listening in. 